0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 214, and we are recording on January 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot, and I definitely almost said this is the Get Borked Podcast. (laughs) 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 Like, it was coming out of my mouth. (laughs) I caught it in time. Everything is fine. (laughs)
1: That should be our side podcast.
0: <laughs> Get bored. What would that even be about?
1: Just chili and like... Hot chocolate it. and all of the things that have gone wrong in the last however many hours Oh recording. my gosh, y'all. Uh, yeah. Something is in retrograde, but that's okay. My brain.
0: My brain is in retrograde. <laughs> anyway! So how the show works, it's called Get Booked, not Get Borked. Uh, this is a podcast for reading recommendations, as I mentioned. So if you need a reading recommendation request, or you have a reading recommendation request, rather, for you or your book club or a gift or whatever, You can send it to us via email at getbooked at bookride.com or you can drop it in the form in the show notes on the site. If it is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line or in big capital letters in the first line if you're using the form so we'll get to it on time. We might email you back if we've already answered your question on the show or if we aren't going to get to your question on time. Okay, so we've got a few, many. So many pieces of feedback. Um, the first one is from Tara, who has recommendation for Wynn, who was looking for the food-related book a few episodes ago. Tara recommends Sourdough by Robin Sloan. Um, let's see. Kelsey has a recommendation for Reja, the person in episode 210 who was looking for really long, very depressing books. Kelsey recommends A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. cosign. just the most sad, all the crying, lots of trigger warnings, very upsetting and depressing. Very long book. Um, Let's see. Wendy says I have a few suggestions for Casey who was looking for light queer romance series. I recommend Melissa Braden's Soho Loft series and Seven Shores series, and McMahon's Jericho series, Lisa Gold's Compass series, and Harper Bliss's Pink Bean series. Harper Bliss, what a name! That's a cool Mm. name. Um, And then lastly. Uh, from Sybil who says We've got some recs for Stacy who is looking for long books preferably by women and people of color um, she suggests several things The Book of Negroes by Lawrence Hill Free Food for Millionaires by Min Jin Lee Cities of Salt by Abdul Rahman Munif, A Fine Balance by Rottington Mystery and In the Eye of the Sun by Adaf Saif. so that's over 800 pages so go with God on that one okay um, so Jen is going to read our first question and we will talk about our first sponsor in a way we will go
1: All right. Our first question is from Sam, who says, I'm requesting for my mom as her birthday is coming up in January. She's already burning through the books I curated for her for Christmas, The Silent Patient and The Turn of the Key. She loves mystery, crime, action and suspense books. She'd like books that are, quote, less psychological thrillery, more murdery, end quote. I've been trying to find standalone books or the start of a series because she can never remember where she left off and too often says, I think I've read this one. Examples of what she likes, The Prey Books by John Sanford, Stephanie Plum Books by Janet Ivanovich, uh, Authors Ruth Ware, Clive Cussler, James Patterson, Paula Hawkins, John Grisham, Mary Higgins-Clark. No home invasions and no horror. Please help me find more murdery books for my mom,
2: LOL.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now let's take a break for our first sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies. And that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you exploring the burden of familial expectations the detriment of miscommunication and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children it's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings each fighting their own personal battle because who isn't who return home in the wake of their father's death Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton-Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at...
0: okay so murdery books for mom i love this question i picked the lost man by jane harper which is is very murdery because someone dies as they often do in these mystery thrillers (laughs) so this one i love because it takes place in queensland in the outback in the middle of nowhere so it almost despite the fact that the setting is thousands of miles of nothingness. It's almost like a closed room murder mystery because there are no people and there's nowhere to go. Uh because you're stuck in this environment where if you're outside too long you will die, which is what happened to the victim. So it's about a family of three brothers, one of whom is the main character who lives on his own in in his ranch. His ranch is adjacent to the ranch that he grew up on where his two brothers live and work and run, you know, that property. Cameron is the brother who dies and he is found in the first uh, like page of the book uh nine, I think nine kilometers from his car um, in the middle of like the outback with no water, no supplies, nothing. He's obviously died of exposure and dehydration only within like 24 hours since he was last seen. And it makes no sense because these are like very seasoned, lifelong outback, you know, citizens. They know never to leave their cars. They know not to be exposed to the elements. He's got supplies, water, food, everything he would have needed in the back of his car. So like, why did he leave it? His car is working fine. How did he end up in the middle of nowhere? Like what happened? Like who took somebody had to have taken him there, right? Or he walked or whatever. Like some people think he might have done it on purpose because he was having apparently some like stress at home. And so the main character, the brother, whose like name, of course, is now escaping me, um, is trying to figure out what happened to Cameron. And it doesn't. None none of it makes any sense. So he leaves his ranch with his 16 year old son and goes to stay at his his brother's um house to kind of try and get to the bottom of this and also, you know, for the funeral. And it's such a fascinating like it, on the surface, it seems like a very kind of almost Agatha Christie kind of puzzle of like, how did this man who by all intents and purposes like, never would have put himself in this position end up? out in the, you know, in the desert with no water. Like, how did that happen? Um, and while, but while all this is happening, you're going back in time to like flashbacks of the, how the family is set up, um, how they ended up, you know, ranching in the middle of nowhere. Like there's weird stuff about like cattle. All this, the the, the most fascinating, I know it's so random. Like all, the most fascinating part of this book to me was like what it takes to survive and what everyday life is like in Australia in the outback where you are, literally 3 hours away from your closest neighbor and like you Australia or New Zealand Australia okay right yeah it's on, yeah it's in Australia um and so there's nothing a- a- around and like everything looks nothing looks like it is supposed to like, if that makes sense, like everything is like far reaching, you know, the horizon is really far away or so far away. So someone who you think is close to you is really far away. Um. And like, everything is dirt and grime and clay and like, Oh, it's just fascinating to me. The people who willingly live their whole lives in these really inhospitable environments Um. with like one cop for, you know, 3000 miles. It's just fascinating. And then, you know, there's the mystery aspect of it. So that's the lost man by Jane Harper. Nice.
1: I picked As Long As We Both Shall Live by Joanne Cheney, which was originally recommended to me by Jamie Cannavese, who reads our Unusual Suspects newsletter. And I think this is a solid pick for your mom. It is also the first murder mystery I've read in a while, so I'm just glad it was good. <laughs> um, it does come with trigger warnings for a lot of graphic violence towards women and children. There's domestic violence. There's suicide. There's just like all of the violences. It's pretty graphic, y'all. Uh, it is, it picks up. Well, okay. So this novel is really fascinating because it moves back and forth in time between like 1995 and I want to say 2008. And it involves the same man, Matt, who in 1995 is cheating on his wife, Janice, and You know, like, very quickly that something very bad is going to happen because of this. And then fast forward into 2008, and he is going on this big, like, backwoods hike with his wife Marie. And, you know, then, like, hours later is running down the trail saying that she fell off the side of a cliff and he thinks she's dead. So he gets taken in for questioning both times and, like, super suspicious. Dude's wives die. What's going on here? I can't tell you anything else about the plot because it's so back and forth and twisty turny in a really, like, interesting way. Not in that, like, psychological thriller way, though. All of the characters are very sort of matter of fact. It's kind of fascinating. The, the narrative jumps around between the different, like, People involved, including uh, a female detective who gets assigned to the 2008 case, and then her like crotchety, aged cop, you know, unwillingly partnered person who has his own. Thing that he is, you know, a, a cop from his past is like showing back up to accuse him of this murder that he says he didn't do. So we've got like multiple different murders, multiple people claiming they didn't do anything. Lots of suspicions all around. And they really kind of all fit together in this fascinating murder jigsaw puzzle. And I kept thinking, oh, now I know where this is going. And I was never right. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Which is awesome. super fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it is, it is, it is super murdery. It is really fascinating. It is a standalone. And I think that, yeah, like any person who loves murder mysteries in particular, and suspense, is going to really want to read this one. So that is As Long As We Both Shall Live by Joanne Chaney.
0: Okay, so our next question is from EW, who says, I'm looking for a novel that's a real page-turner, the type of novel that gets you in bed early because you're excited to find out what will happen within the following pages. Lately, I've enjoyed Normal People, Conversations with Friends, and Little Fires Everywhere. I love these books for their intriguing, complex characters and distinctive settings. Bonus points for a romance subplot and great character development. Okay, I don't have romance for you. There's the opposite of romance in this book, but I think that you will... Enjoy is the wrong word. Be really engrossed by this one. And I picked Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao, which I will say has trigger warnings for everything. Rape, human trafficking, child abuse. Uh, everything. So, it's about two girls who live in India, Pornima and Savita, and they are life, like, raised together, right? When the book opens, they're children. Um, they're both living in poverty. One of them is much poorer than the other and comes to work, um, for her friend's father in, at one of their looms to make saris. Um, and then through a series of really terrible events, um, she gets, she leaves. She's, uh, runs off, abandons her friend and her village because of something that, something traumatizing that's happened to her. And her other friend, um, Purnima, her friend Purnima, leaves also to try to find her like to find out what's happened to her she doesn't want to just you know she knows what's happened to her friend and she doesn't want to abandon her to this you know great wide world of of dealing with the trauma of it on her own and like i don't want to tell you what it is because it's kind of a spoiler so they step they go their separate ways because savita runs and then pranima also runs to find out what's happened to her and their paths diverge and just awful things start happening to both of them. They both, they, and it's across the world, like in India, different parts of India, they end up in Seattle at one point. And it's, it's, it's a chase almost. Like, you know what's happening to both girls as they grow up and, you know, time passes and they're looking for each other. But the whole, the whole plot is centered around the two of them being reunited, finding each other and like getting through life together. And so even though every, almost, I mean, it's so escalating, the terrible things that happen to these girls. Almost everything that happens to them is awful. But you can't stop, like you can't, or I couldn't anyway, put it down because I, I had to see them find each other. Like I had to see the whole point of this book of, of their friendship being enough to to overcome all of these circumstances that have happened to them. I needed to see that be enough. And so it's so engrossing, because you're watching Purnima chase Savita across oceans, you know? And usually that kind of, de- like, devotion or dedication to a character is is reserved for romances, but this just, like, deep, deep abiding friendship that the two of them have for each other is such, uh, you know, I keep saying, like, you won't enjoy it, it's not delightful or anything like that, but it's so, ah, uh, just, like, heartwarming, even amidst all the garbage that they're dealing with, watching the two of them travel through these their, you know, objectively awful lives. With the memory of each other, looking for each other, and, like, that being the singular focus that keeps them going is, oh, man, it's just such an experience. It's such an experience. You will, I really think, it'll be that sort of thing where, like, I have to ignore my family and sit in my bed and read this until I'm done kind of a thing. So that's Girls Burn Brighter by Shubba
1: Yeah, I also got hooked on the intriguing, complex characters and distinctive settings. There's some relationships in the subplot, um, but there's really great character development in my pick. It's The Plague of Doves by Louise Erdrich, which comes with trigger warnings for violence towards women and children and lynching. And this takes place in a small town in uh, North Dakota called Pluto that is right on the edge of a a Native American reservation. And that, like, you actually get a lot of history of the founding and settlement of the town that actually used to be part of those lands. And the prologue is about the murder of a family in their, like, farmhouse. And uh, it it was very unsolved. And um, three Native American men were accused of the murder and lynched. And the story jumps back and forth in time all over the place, like not just to this murder and then like generations later, um, but to, you know, like I said, back to the founding of the town and, you know, then forwards even farther and all over the place. And you meet all of these different people And it's really unclear at first how it's all going to come together. And the page turneriness of this is piecing together that another jigsaw puzzle of book, like piecing together that jigsaw puzzle of these characters and how they relate to each other and what secrets they're keeping and what's driving them and, you know, what struggles they're facing. There are white characters, there are Native American characters, there are biracial characters. There's just so much... Depth and complexity to this story. And it's so atmospheric, almost more than I remember the characters. I remember sort of the scenes from this book. They're like etched in my brain. There's, you know, because Erdrich is just such an amazing writer and she conjures up just such vivid atmosphere and place, you know, whatever that is, that (laughs) magic (laughs) of feeling like you're there. She's so good at that. And then, like I said, the characters are amazing, too. And you just really get sucked into trying to figure out, how is this all going to come together? Like, how is this all going to come together? So in that sense, it's page turnery, not that, you know, the plot moves in a linear, like, A to B fashion, and you just can't wait to figure out where it's going. But you're just, like, trying to figure out how this all fits together. So again, that's The Plague of Doves by Louise Erdrich. Okay, our next question is from Sterling, who is looking for nonfiction books from authors of color, particularly in public policy, economics, business, tech, history, or sports. Amanda, what you got?
0: I picked The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which is an excellent book about public policy. And it is about how the U.S. criminal justice system currently functions as a new codified version of Jim Crow. So, you know, all we're all familiar with what Jim Crow laws were in the South. Um, in the early 20th century, they were put into place after the Civil War in order to keep black people from voting and having any other real rights in, you know, communities or, or being able to run for office, anything like that. Um, and even though Jim Crow laws have been struck from the books and are no longer law in most of these places, we now use the criminal justice system in its stead, especially laws that prevent felons. From being able to vote because the laws that are um, in place were put in place in order to prevent felons from voting were specifically enacted in order to keep black men from voting because black men are um, convicted of felons at much higher rates than any other um, segment of the population. So she, Michelle Alexander, is a litigator. Um, she's a civil rights advocate and a professor, um, and a law professor. And so she really breaks down the direct line from... Jim Crow laws to current, uh, civil or to current criminal justice, um, systems in the South and across the country that are specifically set up and like how they went, how the, it was really just an evolution as opposed to like, you know, we struck down Jim Crow and now we have this criminal justice system that doesn't have anything to do with it. There is like a direct purposeful through line from A to B. Um, so it's a really big aspect of public policy and the book is itself is a bit older. It was written in 2010. Um, but I've been hearing a lot more about it recently, especially as more states pass laws to legalize marijuana, which, you know, the possession of is often used as a reason to convict um, people of color of felonies. And it's the legalization and decriminalization conversation um, without um what's the word? Not forgiveness, uh, without like striking that from people's records. Like, is that mm-hmm. actually justice? Like that whole conversation about the intersectionality of legalizing marijuana and the effect that the war on drugs has had on communities of color, especially when it comes to voting rights, I think has made this book kind of newly relevant. It never wasn't relevant, but it's a. Uh, I'm hearing about it so much more. So I think this is a really good one to read right now. Uh, it's the New Jim Crow: Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander.
1: I picked What Truth Sounds Like by Michael Eric Dyson, which is so interesting because this book has really. Echoed in my brain since reading it, it largely is about the conversation that happened in 1963 between then Attorney General Robert Kennedy and James Baldwin, Lorraine Hansberry, Kenneth Clark, and Jerome Smith, uh, where Kennedy was trying to, you know, get a bunch of black intellectuals in a room to talk about like why they aren't, you know. Cooperating with him, basically <laughs> <laughs> like why aren't you there? <laughs> why aren't you appreciating the things that we're doing for you, like why are we not you know better friends like why aren't we working together? why aren't you as easy to talk to as Martin Luther King, etc cetera, et cetera and then you know once you get in the room, these the people in the room sort of let him have it and were very upfront and very angry and clear with Kennedy about all of the ways that that administration was failing them and not doing enough. And it was a really, it was a conversation that I didn't know about when I picked up this book. And it, it, there are so many echoes of that conversation that I think are happening today, which I think is why Michael Eric Dyson, you know, wrote this. Um, It came out in 2018. It, it really is. You know, these conversations are still ongoing. Like, sure, we've made progress, but there's so much more to do. And I think a lot of folks who... Especially came up through like older generations are like, but look how far we've come and look how much we've done. And and not understanding the weight of the injustices that are still ongoing, and also the ways that public policy has and has not shifted since the 1960s. And so, I, yeah, I think, you know, again, like we write history, we're doomed to repeat it unless we understand it. This is such an important book in that sense, I think, especially for, you know, white people to read and understand, like, there's a lot that we don't know about our own history. And there's a lot of nuances to the conversation that we might be missing. And this is a great place to start. And then there's so many great current books about, you know, current politics. But I I thought a little history angle would be interesting. So again, that's What Truth Sounds Like by Michael Eric Dyson.
0: Okay, our next question is from Riyadh, who says, I'm looking for two recommendations. The first is for me. I generally read a lot of sci-fi fantasy, but I'm open to branching out. Recent reads that I've really liked were Priory of the Orange Tree, The Goblin Emperor, and The Ruin of Kings. If you stay in SFF, please know NK Jemisin or Yunha Lee, as those are already on my TBR. My other recommendation is I'm looking for a read for my first grade, my first, my son in first grade, excuse me. He's just getting into reading and I'm looking for other options besides Magic Treehouse. He's really been enjoying a graphic novel series called Stone Rabbit, which incorporates sci-fi fantasy elements and slapstick humor. Okay, we split this one, so I'm just going to keep going. I took the recommendation for your son in first grade. I picked Zeta the Space Girl by Ben Hotkey, which is a um, graphic novel series that incorporates sci-fi, fantasy elements and slapstick humor. So I think your kid will <laughs> it'll be like right up, you know, your son's um, alley. Uh, it is about a girl named Zeta whose best friend is abducted by an alien doomsday cult, and he's like taken through like a wormhole, um, and she jumps through the wor- or the portal. She jumps to the portal when he is abducted in order to go save him and then finds herself in this like alternate reality um, where the world is going to end in three days and she has to save it <laughs> and also get her and her best friend, you know, back to, to Earth to where they're supposed to be. Um, and so she is very uh, surprised to find herself in this role of like hero. And it's just a very cute, like it's a super cute graphic novel. Of course, it's science fiction. Because of the aliens. Um, but also there are a lot of really hilarious monsters. And my kids are eight, um, years old and they read this probably, I think last year. So they would have been seven. Um, so about, you know, the same age as your son and they loved it so much because the monsters and aliens and the, the, like the, you know, kind of baddies are just uh, harmless. They're funny. Like it's more slapsticky than it is like scary. Um, and the adventures that she goes on with her best friend are really great. And it's, um, there are multiple graphic novels in the series so there's plenty for your kid to get into so that Zeta the space girl by ben hacky
1: always and forever cosign Zeta the <laughs> space girl
0: <laughs> so much alien slime and snot and like bodily functions
1: so much and the giant like mouse and the little robots yeah. oh i love it all right, so obviously I took the first half of the question. You said you were open to branching out, but I was like, why? Why don't I <laughs> not just
0: give you... <laughs> of course we're just going to stick
1: with Yeah, that. exactly. So I picked Everfair by Nisi Shaw for you, which has trigger warnings for like racism and violence and the violence around racism because it is a steampunk, reimagining... Of Belgians' colonization of the Congo. So interesting. So interesting. So alternate history. And in this version, of history, the native population of the Congo has access to steam technology, which enables them to fight back against the Belgian colonizing forces. They're still really struggling and, you know, are have been enslaved and, you know, to work in the rubber plants, and many of them have been maimed in accidents or intentional, you know, punishments. But they are fighting back And then there's also these uh, socialists who came from Great Britain to, like, found a utopian society in land purchased from the Belgian government in the Congo. And so they are, like, an interesting third party to this conflict. Like, are they going to help the native population? What is their own role in colonization? And, you know, how can they cooperate with the Native population? It's really fascinating. It's really just so intricately imagined. And I also love that the book jumps around from character to character. So you get all of these different viewpoints of this, you know, evolving situation and where it goes It goes forward like quite a bit actually in time. And it's such a cool way to rethink like what could have happened, what might have been. And I just, ugh, I just love this book so much. And I don't think there's a lot of alternate history out there at the moment that reckons with this kind of, you know, these kinds of historical atrocities in a way that is both thoughtful and conscious and also, like, it is kind of fun. Like, they have, like, war balloons. <laughs> and, you know, there's these really lovely moments. And then there's also, you know, like, poisonings and spies. And there's some romance. And it's just there's politics. There's just everything. It's got everything. And, yeah, I, I feel like alternate history sci-fi fantasy doesn't come up as often as I wish it would. And we don't get as much of it published as I wish we would. And so this is, like, my pitch for that. So, again, that's Ever Fair by Nisi Shaw.
0: All right, we're going to take a break for our next sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my That he will have seven great loves in his life, and then he meets Irena in '95, and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny, they fall in love.
1: Okay, time for our next question, which is from Delaney, who says, I'm a seventh grade student at ex- Explorer Middle School, and my English teacher is running out of recommendations for me in her classroom library. She highly recommended that I ask you for help finding a good book. I've listened to your podcast before. Uh, my favorite types of novels are mystery and realistic fiction. Some of my favorite books are This Lie Will Kill You by Chelsea Pitcher, The Couple Next Door by Sherry LaPena, and That's Not What Happened by Cody Keplinger. I hope you can find a book or two that i will love to read amanda what do you think
0: i had so much trouble with this one because you are in seventh grade yeah (laughs) like right but the reading that you've already done is so elevated and like Mm -hmm. you're the couple next door i mean obviously you're fine with the kind of material that i would normally be hesitant to recommend to a seventh grader but whatever so like based on what you have already read i picked you will know me by megan abbott which is a murder mystery again you've already read them so i'm just knocking on wood that it's okay um it's about katie and eric who are a married couple katie and eric knox they have a 15 year old daughter named devon um katie the mother is mostly the point of view character their 15 year old daughter devon is a gymnastics prodigy she's in a lot of training they she's got like olympic hopes and aspirations and she spends most of her time at the gym you know Add her workouts and trainings and all that kind of stuff with her coach and her team. Um, and there are different like uh, I don't even know what to call them like gymnastics adjacent people who work at the gym. So like as trainers' assistants, um, physical therapists, all of those sorts of positions. You know that orbit around really elite athletes. And a member of that team is uh killed right before a really big competition that Devin has been preparing for a lot. Um, and so this. Like really violent death of somebody who's close to them and is involved in their world really rocks their little like gymnastics community, uh, especially Katie. And so she has to try to keep her family together. She's having marital problems. She herself has kind of a drinking problem, but she's trying to keep her family together. Keep you know, her family afloat, they've spent all this money on Devin keeping her like mortgaged to the hill, keeping her in this really elite training, and also keep Devin herself focused on the training and, you know, to keep her fighting for this dream that she's had in the midst of this really terrible thing that's happened to somebody who she knew and really cared about. Um, so you are both trying to figure out, of course, what happened like to the person who has been murdered, but also watching Katie try to like desperately guide her child and keep her marriage and her own, you know, like, sense of self and well-being going and it is just really like stressful it's a very stressful read and a lot of murder mysteries are you know like you're on the edge of your seat trying to figure out what's going to happen um but i honestly megan Abbott is such a genius i had absolutely no freaking freaking idea who did it like and something else that's really interesting about this book is that the person who dies the like you know, the guy who's kind of adjacent to the community of gymnasts, isn't anyone that you care about? Like, m- maybe other readers felt differently, but he's not a main character. He's not, like, a person who you're introduced to early enough to really start to develop feelings about, like, one way or the other. And so when he's murdered, it's kind of like, well, okay. You know, like, you don't really, I, I don't know, like, like, Megan Abbott makes you sit with her for 350 pages while she solves the murder of what happens to this dude who you're kind of like, what was his name again? Which is such, such a, <laughs> like, you know, like, who did, how does he work fit into this, Like Who is he? I don't know. Um, But that's such a skill. That's such a talent that you can watch this family kind of unravel around something that is like, you know, objectively terrible, but that you as a reader maybe have no emotional investment in. It's just really interesting. So that's You Will Know Me by Megan Abbott.
1: Yeah, I mean I, you know, read stuff I probably shouldn't have read yeah, in 7th grade. 100%. <laughs> so, I just, you know, now
0: I'm an adult and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> yeah, no, I
1: have the same feelings. So, you know, my recommendation also is like, <laughs> hopefully this is okay. Um, uh, my recommendation is Penance by Kenai Minato, and this comes with a trigger warning for harm to children, and it is about Five friends who, when they are 10 years old, go to school to play, but only four of them come back. The four of them are tricked into leaving their other friend by a stranger, and then that friend is killed. And the little girls are not helpful enough to the police to actually find a suspect. They have, like, trouble, you know, describing the stranger and for whatever reasons. And the mother of the girl who disappeared and was killed is understandably distraught. And threatens them and tells them that by the time the statute of limitations on the murderer is expired, they either have to write a confession or perform an act of penance. And I picked this one for you because, you know, it seemed like you were interested in these, you know, multiple people trying to keep a secret for different reasons kind of books. And then, you know, this very tense, like, murdery books also. And this is an incredibly, tense story and has a ton of emotional weight and you are trying to figure out like what why are these four girls not able to you know identify a suspect what actually happened so many things going on here and that feels like the kind of thing that you're looking for Also, if you like it, there are a ton of Japanese thrillers and murder mysteries and horror that you might then want to explore. So again, that is Penance by Kenai Minato.
0: All right. Our next question is from Anna, who says, I recently read and loved Courting Samira by Amal Awad, and I'm looking for something similar. So far, I've read Ayesha at Last and Forbidden by Faith. I found these on your site, and both are great, but a little too angst-filled for what I'm looking for. What I loved about Courting Samira was that it was one of those reads where the author creates a world that you don't want to leave. It had a cozy and warm vibe with awesome side characters and a believable and swoon-worthy love interest. I loved that the main character was a devout Muslim and appreciated and loved her culture, but that wasn't the focus of the book. It was simply about her going through her day as a 27-year-old looking for love, but also professional and personal fulfillment. Is there something out there that has a culturally diverse cast of characters and a fun and cozy romance? Okay. I picked Unmarriageable by Sonia Kamal for you, which is a modern day Pakistani retelling of Pride and Prejudice. And it is adorable. It's adorable. So <laughs> the main character's name is Alice. She's obviously Elizabeth. Um, and she is the second, uh, second oldest of the five Banat daughters. And she is, I think, 30 when the book opens and works as an English teacher. She teaches English literature to schoolgirls uh, with kind of this, kind of secondary motive of like, she knows that most of her students aren't going to graduate before they drop out to get married and have babies. And she's trying to teach them, you know, Jane Austen and other um works of literature with strong heroines to kind of try to give them, you know, the idea that they could dream of something bigger than that if they wanted to. Um So they are the family, the five daughters and, you know, her parents are invited to a big wedding, like a big, huge event in their town. And so Mrs. Benat, of course, like very true to the book, decides she's going to scheme and such a way as to make all of her daughters meet marriageable men um and you know if you uh, who's not familiar with the plot plot of pride and prejudice, right? Like you know what happens. They go to this wedding. Her older sister Jenna catches the eye of like a really successful entrepreneur who's very sweet and maybe a little bit dumb, and Alice herself meets his best friend who's kind of a jerk and she mm-hmm. doesn't really like him. You know, you see where this is going. Um and she <laughs> proceeds to by she I mean the author Sonia Kamal proceeds to rewrite the entire plot of pride and prejudice in Pakistan in you know, modern, you know, life in a way that's so true to the original, but so hilarious. Like the Mr. Collins character, the way that she rewrites Mr. Collins is hilarious. He's a widower with three kids and just the most obnoxious, you know, hmm. kind of person. And she's tackling a lot of um, modern day issues. She talks about abortion in the book, feminism, of course, but it's also got that very rich... um family buzzing around thing that Jane Austen does really well. The food writing in the book is really good. It's just very heartwarming and fun. And I think um it has angst because it's, you know, Pride and Prejudice is a little bit angsty, but not any more than or not, not so much that you could call the book angsty in the same way that you wouldn't really call Pride and Prejudice a work of angst, even though Darcy is the most emo character ever written. I stand by that. Don't at me. So that is <laughs> Unrearginable by Sonia Kamal. <laughs>
1: Oh, Lord. I, you know, I went back and forth on this question so many times because my angst meter is much less sensitive than yours is, Anna. Um, and so I was like, oh, I feel like everything I pick is going to be too angsty for you based on what you were looking for. And then the ones that were really lighthearted were almost a 100% about the romance, which it didn't sound like that's what you wanted. So I changed my mind like 16 times. I settled on When Dimple Met Rishi by Sanjay Menon. Because it got the closest that I could think of to what it is that you're asking for. And it is a YA romance. And Dimple Shah is the main character. She is, like, graduating from... High school. She knows exactly what she wants. She wants to be a programmer. She's got this program all picked out where she can get like a head start. She can maybe even meet her like, you know, this this female programmer who she's looked up to. One of her heroes um, is judging a competition that's part of this program. But her parents have other plans. They would like her to find, you know, the ideal Indian husband. Um, but they're also, you know, they're supporting her and that they've, you know, paid for her to attend the summer program for aspiring web developers. So, like, it's complicated, but they are supporting her in a way. They're just also pushing her towards getting married. So she goes off to the summer program And is approached by a guy who's like, hi, future wife. And so she doesn't know him. She has no idea what's going on. She throws her iced coffee at him and runs away. And it turns out that he is the son of her parents' best friends, who they have like sort of low-key arranged a marriage between and decided to use this summer program as a way for them to like meet and get to know each other. But they have not told Dimple this. So poor Rishi is like what's going on? Because he knows exactly what's going on and doesn't understand why this girl is so mad and runs away. And then he figures it out and like has to woo her. And it is lovely. It's just so lovely, (laughs) this story. I love it so much because there's so much support and so much... Like, it's so clear what Dimple is good at and why she's good at it and why she loves it and what she's going to do with her life. Like, it's super lovely and clear and, uh, like, she gets that support. And then also there is this complicated, you know, expectation around romance and marriage and, like, how much does she want to participate in that? And then this guy who is really lovely and supportive and also, like, wants to do, you know, the thing and get married and find a partner and have the marriage that his parents have, which is really lovely and has meant a lot to him. Um And they both have some growing up to do. And Where It Lands, I think, is really interesting and lovely. And yeah, it's just great. I mean, we've recommended it on the show before, but we haven't talked about it in a minute. And there are more books in the series if you end up liking it. So again, that's When Dimple Met Rishi by Sanjay Menon. Okay, our last question is from Emma. Who says, when I think about the books that I've loved the most recently, I noticed that a few of them, the Neapolitan novels, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, the Immortalists, can all be loosely described as books that follow a person or a small group of connected people throughout their lives, from childhood to old age or death, and probably make me cry a few times along the way. Can you point me towards more books like this? Bonus points for audiobooks, bonus points for authors and characters who are women, LGBT, and/or from any other underrepresented group. Whew, talked a lot okay amanda
0: okay i picked the 10th muse by katherine chung which is available on audiobook i love this book so much it's like a less gossipy kind of version of the seven husbands of evelyn hugo if that book were about math so the main character is Catherine. she is a famous when the book opens she's an elderly woman she's a super famous mathematician who has you know generally accepted to be a genius who has altered the course of um theoretical mathematics, you know, forever. Uh, and she is reflecting on her life and how she got to the point that she is now being such a powerful person in academia and mathematics. Um, And also how why she has decided to spend kind of the, you know, sunset of her life solving the Riemann hypothesis, which is like an unsolvable math problem that I don't understand, because I'm not going to math. But she wants to solve this really um, famous Unconquerable problem that has ties to her personal life. And that's really what the book is about. So you go back to her childhood when she was born in the forties and she's raised in, you know, in the forties and fifties in the Midwest. I think it was Michigan. Um, one of the M states. I don't remember. And she <laughs> is raised by a, a white man who is a veteran of World War II and a, and her mother is Chinese and she can't um her mother leaves her family when you're know, very early in the book when she's a child and she can't reconcile why that is and then she like is never accepts it um and then she realizes as she grows older uh that there was actually like her parents are not who she thought they were um and she has to go off and like kind of solve that mystery while also maintaining her academic career in math which is you know she's very often the only woman in the room she's very often told To her face, because this is like the sixties and seventies. She's told to her face that she can't have jobs because she's a woman. She's not just a woman trying to make it in math. She's also a woman of color trying to make it in math. Like she's got all of these obstacles to fight against. Um, she gets romantically involved with one of her professors, which adds a lot of wrinkles to her trying to have her own personal ambition. And one of the ways that she gets away from that situation is to travel to Germany for a uh, fellowship where she can study a certain problem that she's been working on on her own without like this really famous dude hanging over her head and while she's there she discovers even more things about her personal life and who her parents really were um and it is just it's like a mystery historical fiction um stem memoir like it's there's so much going on (laughs) and it's so interesting and juicy and she's such a fascinating character and she does that thing that evelyn hugo also does really well where like I am, you know, 80 years old and I have lived my life and here are the things that are true about being a woman um, in an industry that is run by men. And like she just says them so matter of factly, but she manages as a character to make this giant success of herself. It's so fascinating. Like it's engrossing, really well written. She's a great character, very strong and quiet and like faces all of these horrifying obstacles in her life with just... As if they are nothing. Like, she recognizes that they're there, and they do make her angry, but she just defeats them in this really admirable way. I just love it. So that's The Tenth Muse by Katherine Chung.
1: I picked Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo, which won the Booker last year. And I was really glad to have an excuse to start reading it for this question. So thank you for that. I think it is exactly what you're looking for. It does come with trigger warnings for domestic violence, child abuse, and rape, And that's just so far. I'm halfway through. So there might be more. (laughs) Just FYI, not a light book. But it's so good. And it is one of these big ensemble, generational cast of characters books. And it's written in this really fascinating style that she calls fusion fiction, which is kind of like Prose poetry in that, you know, the line, there are like line breaks and not, you know, traditional capitalization or sentence structure, but it's, it just flows, like it just flows so beautifully along. I feel like I'm, you know, just gliding through this book on her prose. It's really fantastic. And it's so interesting. It starts off with Ama, who is living in London and is a playwright and is, you know, uh, of African descent. And she is, has been on the fringes. She is, you know, staging like off, off, off West End productions in barns or libraries or coffee shops or whatever and protesting things. And, you know, is like a real firecracker of a person and is also queer. And has had, like, lots of different partners and is currently, you know, in a polyamorous relationship. She also has a teenage daughter and, you know, all of these things. And she's finally getting recognition. One of her plays is being put on at the National, and like the big, you know, famous establishment theater. And now she's, like, you know, coming to this point in her career where her old, older lefty friends are accusing her of selling out. And she's like, no, this is, you know, I'm bringing... Counterculture to the people. And so there's that tension. And then, you know, who's going to come to opening night and who's not. And then the next section is her daughter's perspective. And then the section after that is, you know, a friend's perspective. And then it just jumps from person to person in ways that like I now I'm starting to try to guess who the next you know, point of view is going to be from, and I've been wrong basically every time. I'm not good at predicting who she's going to pick next to dive into, but you do get these amazing views of all of these different characters of color who are negotiating their lives and their culture and their politics and their sexuality and, you know, their family relationships. And it's really complex and juicy and just digs in to so much. And the emotional content is just so pitch perfect. I'm just, I love this book. I love it. And I think that, again, it is exactly the kind of thing that you are looking for. So again, that is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Evaristo. And that's our show. Hooray!
0: Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson.
1: And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL.
0: And we will talk to you all next week.